Hello, Cine fans. Welcome to yet another episode of Cinema Slayers. Today, I have Heather and Jastin joining us, and we're going to be talking about one of the biggest animated franchises of our time, the third installment and reportedly the last installment of How to Train Your Dragons. As usual, we are going to be gentlemen on here, and we're going to let the lady go first. So, Heather. What did you like about How to Train Your Dragons? Yeah. Okay. So, um, first of all, the whole series is really, really good. Um, this this one is I really I I really liked all of them, but for this one, I would say let me start with the things that I that stood out to me most that I liked. The first thing I would say would be the visuals of this one. Um, obviously, you know, in all of them, they're good. They're great visuals, um, but it's just a very stunning movie. You know, it's just a very like if you if you weren't listening to the storyline and it's one of those movies that you just have on, you know, in the background or something, you're going to be watching it just because it's so beautiful to watch. You know, so um, for for some reason, it stood out more to me in this one that the visuals were so good and so beautiful. But yeah, it's just a very beautiful movie to watch. So I appreciated that. It's very eye-catching just from the from the get-go um in this one i do say i i like that there is a separate theme sort of for each story and i think that that's what keeps this franchise interesting is because every movie has a different theme like you know the first one is more of you know you're the outcast and you know you come together and you're kind of learning who you are and then the second one is more of you know like kind of owning more of who you are and how to, you know, how, how to be a leader and how to, you know, that kind of thing. And then um, this one is more of growing up and what it is to grow up. And, you know, so I just really enjoy that they have separate themes for each one of them. Um, Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, this one's about, it's about growing up, realizing your own potential. Um, It's, you know, it's about a lifetime bond and it's just a beautiful storytelling. And um, it's one that both kids and adults can relate to, which I think is really cool. And I think that's why this does so well. It's similar, I guess, how um, probably Toy Story or The Incredibles along those lines where it's just entertainment for any age, really. But um, just I really think that the storytelling and the story development in these movies makes this kind of stand out and kind of puts it in a different category than the other ones even. So, um, but yeah, I mean, I like that. I also like that um, Hiccup and Toothless, they're, they're just essentially the same, the same character. They're, they're the same in how they are. And, and I think that's why the relationship works so well, which is just even more apparent in this movie than it was in the other ones. And, you know, I totally feel for Hiccup because I've been there with like not wanting change, um, but having to sort of be forced to accept it. You know, that's a part of life and it's a part of growing up. And I just think that the they just told that story, that human story about that in a very real way. Um, so, yeah, it's just it's great storytelling and it's well-rounded and it's all just done in a really great way. So I think just the the story of this is just, it's remarkable and it's just really not like anything else you've seen, especially in animation. So um, I also like the characters a lot. There's great dynamics there. There's the funny lines. It's um, just the, the way that they interact with each other. It's realistic in how relationships would be with certain people. Um, 
the emotion behind this one. There was a little bit more emotion in this one. Not going to lie. It was a little bit sad for me, a little too sad, <laughs> but it was, it was really, it was great. And, you know, it makes sense that it's going to have more of that emotion because it's the conclusion of it, like you were saying before. Um, so yeah, those are the things for me that stood out. I mean, I, I actually, I was late to the game in checking out these movies initially. Um, I actually didn't see the very first one until maybe like maybe a month or so ago because I knew this was coming out and I was like, Oh, you know, I all want to see it and conclude the whole thing. So that's when I actually first watched the first one and then immediately after watched the second one, cause it was so good, <laughs> but it just is, you know, I, I have a thing with animated movies where it's never really like, I never don't like them, but it's more of, I never seek them out. I'm never like, I really want to see this movie you know, if it's an animation. So that's just kind of, for me, a personal preference of it. But with these, I totally see why everybody just loves these movies. I've never heard a single bad thing about them. And this third movie, it's just so, it's, it just, it proves why it is so great because even a third story in, you know, it's not any less entertaining or it's, it hasn't gotten boring or old in any sort of way, really. They kind of make it new um, in each one. So I appreciate that about it. So I really, I thought this was a great movie. Fantastic. So um, Heather, just real quick, you were talking about the visuals and so how they were so impressive and they impressed you a lot. What would you say is like your favorite visual mm -hmm. scene in all of that? <laughs> tricky, tricky. Um, man, that's a rough one. I would say maybe when the, what is the what is the the land that the dragons live in? What is that place called again? I'm forgetting. The hidden world. Yes, the <laughs> the hidden world, like the movie is called. Yes. Um, when you first see that, I think that's really great. And then when the um, and then toothless and the other dragon. Uh, I forget the other dragon's name. Light Fury. Yes. <laughs> I'm not great with the names on them, but that scene when they're together and they're in the sky and they're just kind of like soaring through. I don't know. I just, I thought that was really great. So um, I would say probably those two scenes for me. Yeah, I have to agree. Once they actually go into the hidden, uh, the hidden world, it really does get spectacular. Um, and it really reminded me a lot of Coco, mm. actually, uh, because the dragon she was riding kind of got really like illuminated and he was comprised of all these different colors and and all that stuff like that and then mm, you know yeah. there were all these little points of light and stuff yeah. like that so it really reminded me when they went into the land of the dead in coco a lot uh and then you know yeah and so yeah, I can see that. Uh, they took some visual beats and, and i think you're right the visuals did receive an upgrade in this film i mean it was it there for me uh, that actually isn't my favorite scene of the visuals. It's actually before they go into the hidden world when they're just flying around the the edge of the world around mm -hmm. that hole. Yeah. And that waterfall just looked like a real waterfall. Like the way it yeah. looked, the rocks, yeah. the water, how it cascaded, how it was like that water mist. I mean, anything that you would look at in a waterfall or, or anything dealing with water and rocks, it, it, it picked up on every single one of those beats. And it was indistinguishable from real yeah. world, from real life. I was like, the only reason I know that that's not a real place is because I know I'm watching a CGI movie. That's the only reason I know. Because if you showed it to me, right. I'd be like, where the hell is that? Yeah. Like, it, it was just so amazing. 
<laughs> yeah, I was Where like, is, is that on right Earth? Now? Because it looks yeah. like it's on Earth. Seriously. Uh, so that was some of the visuals are really, really good. Um, I totally agree with that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And just to quickly add, I guess I got to say my favorite, too, since we're all chiming in on a favorite visual. But mm-hmm. for me, it, it was at the beginning of the film. And that's when I knew that I was really in for something special because that opening scene where they're raiding that ship and the lantern hits the ground. So there's this fire and the guy is like, oh my God. And you see Hiccup walk through the flames and the Mm, scales on his dragon armor, like the, just the amount of details that were in his armor. And then you see Toothless kind of creep up slowly behind him and they're, in the smoke, so the so and the flames and the flames are just illuminating parts of them. But my God, that was so beautiful! I was just like, mm-hmm. "Wow!" Like, like it really. Yeah. I literally, as I was watching that scene, I just said, "Wow!" And I can't even tell you how many times because I watched it with two other people, and I can't tell you how many times I looked over at them and said, "This looks spectacular!" Like I kept saying it. It was just scene after scene that was just impressing me from beginning to end so bravo on the visuals man you want to talk about an upgrade Mm -hmm. i mean this was like i mean gamer talk here this was almost like the first time i always think about the first time i saw like mario 64 and just how i was like oh my god he's running around and everything (laughs) is three-dimensional he's jumping and oh yeah oh my gosh the castle and the details like that's how this felt. Like this felt like something on another level for me. So I totally agree with you guys about the visuals. Yeah. I mean, I think it just really um, like it's one of those movies where you, you, you are kind of taken out of your world a little bit when you're, when you're watching this, because everything is just so beautiful and just, and it really is very detailed. So it is one of those where, you know, if, probably if you're a little kid going to watch this and you're just like, oh my gosh, this place is awesome. You know, like I can imagine that being <laughs> what's going through their minds because it is, it's very beautiful. And it's one of those where like, if you, if you were to see it in like 3d or something like that, you're just going to be like, man, this is so real. You know, fuck that. Fuck 3d. No, do not watch this movie in 3d. 3d is a rip off. This is is some real bullshit (laughs) here. Yeah, no, I get your point. 3D is a gimmick that just needs to finally die. I can't wait in five years. Well, it's never going to die because they found a way to monetize it. And so now that they know how to monetize it and people will pay money for 3D, it's just never going to go away. It hurts my heart. It really does. It sucks. (laughs) All right. So I guess we're going to listen to Justin. Speaking of something that has found a way to monetize itself and is never going to go away. (laughs) I hate you. Um, Okay. So how to train your dragon, the hidden world. So, man, I I mean, it's going to be tough to follow Heather after she pointed out uh, so many good things that I agree with about this film. But um, but just like she said, and I mean, we've already gone over it, but just this movie was just so appealing to look at. And I just can't overstate that enough. And like everybody talked about when they finally found the hidden world, and that was a nice comparison to Coco. I didn't think about that. But yeah, you're totally right about that. Like when the dragon illuminated and everything was lit up and it just looked so perfect. So 
I can't state enough how just every scene was gorgeous to look at. Uh, but another uh, thing that I loved about this film was just you can tell that all of the voice actors in this film have really over the course of these three movies have developed their chemistry. And I think that it was just so apparent here. Everyone sounds genuine. Everyone was so lovable. You just it just didn't matter who was talking. You were engaged. I felt like I was listening. And anytime there was any interactions between two characters, I always felt like it landed. If there was a joke, I chuckled a little bit. And some jokes, I really was laughing hard. I loved the brother and sister Viking in this movie, uh, Rough Nut and Tough Nut. I thought that there were some scenes where they definitely stole it. Like, especially, uh, um, I want to say Kristen Wiig as Roughnut. Man, her, mm -hmm. she she stole some scenes from me. Like, that that scene where she was kidnapped by Grimble. I was going to say that. And she basically talks him <laughs> to death. Yeah, where she basically talks him to death. That was, like, <laughs> such a great scene. I was laughing hard at her and how she just wouldn't shut up and finally like he was like go man just go like i loved that <laughs> yeah. scene like that that to me was one of the scenes that was like a show stealing scene to me but another thing that i'll quickly say that stood out to me was just the scenes with toothless and the light fury like mm -hmm. when i first saw the preview for this film I thought that we would get kind of a minimal amount of that. Like I thought that the scene where that that you, uh, that everybody knows and saw from the previews, where he's doing the mating dance and everything like that, trying to impress her, and it's totally not working. I figured that we would get maybe a scene or two like that, and that would kind of be it. But I think that it's a credit to this movie that they didn't say, "Well, nobody cares about this animal relationship, so we don't have to spend." too much time with it. Nobody wants to hear, you know, really invest in these two dragons as much. So we'll spend more time with the and humans. And honestly, they had some of the best scenes. Yes, honestly, I was good. Yes, yeah. it totally Sorry, go was. Ahead. Yeah, no, you're totally right. It it was not like that at all. Some of their scenes, as you were saying, Heather, were some of my favorite scenes. Just And you could, every facet of that budding relationship, you felt it. Without words, just their looks, their moans. Yeah. When when they were curious about each other, you you could see that. When they were growing to get, when they were developing the friendship, you could see that. Them testing their abilities and him seeing her do different things and him uh, as far as her, like that scene where they were flying together and she... B mm -hmm. b breathes the flame and then just almost like a sonic boom sort of flight right through. It was almost like she was teleporting. I thought she teleported, but I guess she was moving really quickly. But I thought that was neat how Toothless would be like, oh, that was impressive. And he kind of you, you could see him sort of the wheels turning in his head like, can I do this too? Or is this something I'm capable of since I'm a knife fury? Like, I just loved their scenes together. They got so much out of that, those scenes, and they made you care just as much for that relationship, I thought, by the end that you did 
for Toothless and Hiccup. Maybe not quite as much, but you understood by the end of the film why that relationship was important and why Toothless needed to move on. You gained a care and a like for that character, and it just became second nature when those two were on screen doing things. So that's another great just testament to the film, I thought, was that relationship. Well, what was happening when she does that little yeah. uh, blast and then she flies through it and she would do the blast and that would kind of distract and then she would go invisible and then accelerate. And so that's why it looked like she would teleport. So that's what mm-hmm. was happening because she had the ability yeah. for stealth camouflage, Metal Gear. <laughs> Um, So that was that. I think that's what was happening with that. (laughs) And, you know, speaking of that, let's talk about um, Toothless's teleportation, lightning strike, strike God of War, Cole McGrath, infamous attack that he was able to generate. (laughs) Yeah. You know, you know, the the power of the booty is strong. (laughs) You know, you got some little bit of little dragon button. He was like coming out with all kinds of different attacks, man. I was like, man. And the first time he did it was so cool. I mean, it just the light went down in scales. And I really did like that little homage to um, Godzilla, uh, because if I'm not mistaken, that light going down his back really wasn't as obvious as uh, as it has been in that movie. And I thought that was really cool that light going down his back and then then the yeah. lightning hits him and he goes in and, yeah. and that's another yeah. one of those visually spectacular uh scenes is anytime he used that teleportation power and and I also loved just how intelligent I mean the dragons have always been been portrayed as intelligent creatures but almost pet like in these films and so it was great this film had a task to me to really make these creatures, you know, near human intelligent um, as far as um, their, as far as their, their smarts, but emotional intelligence, they had to convince you that these creatures were just as emotionally complex and as aware of their surroundings and aware of the people who they were interacting with and aware of the dragons they were interacting with, just as aware as any human. And I think that was probably the biggest task of this because these dragons can't speak. You know, they, they can't talk. They're not like, roar, I love you. You know, it's, you know, it would be awful, especially if that was how it was done. It would have been <laughs> awful. And so their really ability to, uh, develop that body language and what they did with the eyes of the dragons and what they did uh with um was just the way they interacted like there's there's a scene at the end when grimmel uh has toothless and light fury because that's the only thing they called her um and they're they're bound up and Toothless manages to get his mask off and there's like this cat and mouse like he's trying to shoot grimmel and this big that big contraption that capture device he had is like burning and it's spinning and you see like toothless like trying to hit him but make sure that the light fury is okay and he's trying to figure out a way to wiggle out before it crashes and you could just see him figuring out how to get out of this situation and it was just really cool. And that just spotlighted mm-hmm. how smart that creature is and how smart Toothless is. And and I just I really did enjoy that also. Yeah, for yeah, sure. For sure. 
the way yeah. that they develop and, the the yeah like they develop these characters so well with no words like it's just phenomenal how they do that and i don't think i've seen it done better in a different movie you know it's just the the words are not needed it's that body language it's the glances it's the it's all it's everything else so i think it's really cool how they do that and speaking of dragons or pets uh the villain in this film grimo and his like what would you even call those i mean were those i guess they were dragons but the 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 poison spitting and the, yeah. the neurotoxin and the, the retractable <laughs> tusks that were in the mouth yeah those were some intimidating dragons yeah those things yeah those were scary looking man i was like damn okay like anytime they came on <laughs> like the scene the i was just breed. like yeah yeah i was like wow man those are pretty impressive man i i, I enjoyed them anytime they were on screen because they were very very fierce looking very scary looking so that that was um they were definitely uh formidable obstacles well i think it's really cool because they they combine so many different elements of of creatures and that's the cool thing about it the reason why the dragons are so um relatable is because you can tell they just took from so many creatures and so many things that you've already seen that actually do exist and you know like uh especially like toothless and the light fury they're they're really cat-like you know they're like tigers or lions or something like that just the way they move they interact the the way they they crouch down low and they rub heads and things like that and those those dragons that grimo had which I don't know what the names of them are, those were very insect or like an arthropod or something like that. Like they had those praying mantis, like that, mm-hmm. those four limbs that were like praying mantis. They had the tail that was like a scorpion. They, you know, spit out like that napalm jelly almost. Um, and like they had that, that stinger that um had the little neurotoxin inside of it which just kind of reminds me of like you know some of those insects like the desert wasp that has that paralyzing neurotoxin that it uses on you and it was just really cool how they they use made those more insect like and and very predatorial um and i even like the explanation is just like you know i use their same venom against them you know just kind of showing how smart grimmel was um and i guess i and guess I, I think I guess yeah. Yeah. since yeah. I am yapping, I'll go ahead and talk about what my favorite thing was about this movie. And my favorite <laughs> thing was honestly, this movie can be summed up by saying full circle. So, how to train your dragons? One, Stoic mm-hmm. is trying to find out how to get rid of all the dragons. That is his whole cause: is to end this dragon war forever. That's his supreme motivation is that when it comes right down to it dragons and humans just can't coexist and in the end that's the conclusion that is reached now it wasn't through a bloody war that that was reached but through learning and working together is just that those are two separate worlds and no matter what humans are shitty and there's always going to be another human trying to use the dragons <laughs> to their own means, trying to use them to conquer, trying to, you know, distill their power and use it for anything. So, you know, it could be something, you know, like Grimmel, his motivations are not very complex. He was kind of a misfit in his village and he killed a Night Fury 
And then everybody was like, hell yeah, Grimmel, we like you. And he was just like, all right, well, I'm going to keep killing these hoes. And that's pretty much what that's his whole motivation, <laughs> you know, versus like, um, I don't know who the yeah. the the yelly dreadlock man. I can't remember his name from the last movie. Uh, yeah, Dra- Drago. Dra- Drago. But his motivation like was that? like a conquer the world with the dragons and things like that and having a dragon army. And it was kind of funny because they kind of started with that in the beginning because they had all those warlords and they were like, oh, man, you know, Drogo failed and we want our army of dragons. And I was like, man, I really hope that, you know, they don't do this army of dragon things again because they're really kind of beating the dead horse with that. And then they just were just they just they just went and and yeah. Grimmel really reminded me of uh, like a Craven the Hunter, you know. Um, just wanting to prove that he was superior yeah. to yeah. any dragon, any man. You know, that's all he wanted to do. Man is superior. He's very, he's very like racist. Like when he first came on, he has like this pseudo German accent, and he's like, "You don't think that his dragons are are superior to us, or you know, or equal to us?" You know, he was very, he was very, <laughs> uh, very Nazi ish. And or it reminded me of like, you know, the bad guys in the civil rights movies when they, you know, look down upon, you know, black people and consider them subhuman. He really had that same type of talk and rhetoric and he he wasn't just um, content with killing the dragons, but enslaving them too. Having a a batch of probably the most fearsome dragons you could think of who were just drones and mindless servants to him just to prove like man look at these things they can spit napalm they can control mines they're strong they're fast they can fly but look what i'm doing to them they'll do whatever i tell them one of those big alpha dragons could yell and do you know all of their dragon mumbo jumbo and it doesn't matter because i'm a man and 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 man is a superior animal on this planet so I liked his motivation, even though it really isn't too complex. And I think that was that was really cool. He didn't have some some ulterior world conquering motive. He just wanted to be famous and he wanted to kill all the night furies. And it's interest and it's interesting because he's for me, I would say he's probably the most memorable of the villains that we've had, you know? Well, so, well yeah, I, I do think I think he's just a um, lot more complex in his simplicity. Yeah. I think that gave a lot more exploration into his character and what he's like versus yeah, versus what he's trying to do. The, the why was so much more important. You know, uh, Drogo was just like, why do you want to mm-hmm. get the dragons? Because I'm big, I mean... And I want to rule everything. Okay. And then it was like Dragon Mama, whoever she was, <laughs> was, you know, just wanting to be fed. And then Stoic came around. So he really wasn't a villain. You know, <laughs> this one, I think this is a, he's the most memorable. I think you're right on that, Heather. Yeah. And I liked, um, just to talk about him a little bit, I liked his need for there to be a challenge to this. It always seemed like he, so much loved hunting them, tracking them, trying to do that. It seemed like sometimes maybe the I almost felt like there were situations where maybe he could have done it an easier way, but he wanted to do it the hard way. He wanted them to get far from him so that he could 
so that he could show how good he was at predicting movement, understanding the the map and where they were and hmm. anticipating where they were going to be. You could really tell that that was more intriguing to him than just simply winning or just capturing them. And like sometimes he would go out of his way to do things hard. Like when he met up with Hiccup and they had that conversation, he knew that Hiccup was not going to give him anything. He knew that he was not, it was not going to be that easy to nab the Night Fury, but he enjoyed the challenge of it. And then there was something malicious kind of about him, right? To have this Light Fury and use that as bait. Have the Night Fury develop feelings for her and things like that. All the time knowing that all you're going to do is capture him and kill him. You know, letting him have that experience of knowing there's another one out me like me out there. Knowing the whole time that the fate of both of them is you're going to kill them. And there's something quite malicious about that, man. There's just something yeah, really, really sinister and, and sinister really sadistic. Totally. Yeah. So, because, like I said, he yeah. has this need to prove his superiority. I will put myself in a dangerous situation just to show you that you can't touch me because I'm that much smarter. I'm that much better. And, you know, I make this look, I, I make this look easy. Yeah. I make this look easy. The ease in which he brought down dragons, the ease in which he infiltrated um, Burke, you know, the ease in which he would, you know, he just really he was very arrogant, but very eloquent about it. And he was very sarcastic and he, he spoke down to everyone. He saw no one, everyone. Everyone. Every person. Every single one. It was of as them. if he was like, here is another moron that I have to explain things to because they're stupid. And I, and I did love that about his character. <laughs> yeah. And, <laughs> and, and, you know, it's just kind of rare to see that in any movie. Yeah. 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 You don't see a lot of that anymore. It's kind of almost uh, a lost art, if you will. That villain kind of hasn't been around in a long time because now we're kind of in the, I guess you could say the More era of the complex villain. villain. Like nowadays, yeah, the sympathetic mm. villain. There you go. That's the word I was looking for. The sympathetic villain where True. Yeah. he's got to have he's a villain, but sometimes it's the redeeming qualities, but he has redeeming qualities that motivate him or he's got kind of a gray area type of origin story or motivations that make you that make people sometimes question, well, was he really that bad of a guy? Um, or he has his heart in the right place, but the methodology, the way that he wants, he or she wants to do things is wrong. So that seems to be the trend now. So I guess it was kind of nice to see something. Would you say he's a little more old school? I think so. As far as that goes. You know, pure villain, you know, no need to go into this, you know, well, the reason why I have to kill all the knife furies is... When I was a boy. I'm bad because I'm bad. My father. (laughs) (laughs) You know, you know, and don't get me wrong. I love myself a complex or a sympathetic villain, but it's just some people are just dicks, man. Some people have no reason to be a dick and they're just a dick. That I mean, that guy could have done so much for that yeah. world. Grimble could do so much for the world, <laughs> but he's just an asshole who likes to be famous. 
and he thinks he's superior to everyone, even you know <laughs> these magnificent, powerful creatures yeah. that should be respected. He he has no respect for them. He's like me when I'm talking to an anti-vaxer. Yeah. <laughs> I was wondering how long it would take for that to get brought up in our podcast tonight. Oh, that's great. So here comes the horror part, guys. Does anybody have any more praises for Dragons 3? I mean, just yeah. in general, I would say the writing, the writing of the story is just really, really great. Yeah. Like, I mean, and I think maybe because... I I tend to just really like movies in general that are about human stories and humanity and animated movies like they always have those underlying messages and everything but this one it was just a very much more human telling through the animation I don't know so I think that's why I Justin? enjoyed it so much We're doing yes sir just any additional positives uh, do I have anything else uh, Oh I think I'm good I think I'm good. I think you guys said anything else that I would want to add. You already said. So. Well, just to extrapolate yeah, and clarify yeah. my point, because I talked about full circle and then I just in the middle of it went on a tangent about Grimmel. Um, So Stoic wanted to end human and dragon relationships. And at the end of this, the only way to protect the dragons was to take them away from humans and not take them away, but it allowed them to go away from humans. And so Stoic's mm. vision still came true just not in the way that he thought. And I just thought that was really amazing. I thought that was really amazing. That's deep. And, and, and <laughs> that is the true. other thing yeah. that I really loved, is I, I love the consistency of character with Hiccup because we got to see Hiccup back to that awkward, unsure, unwilling boy that he was in Dragons 1 and him fighting and trying to figure out what the best thing to do and trying his best to let something go. And it comes back to him and him coming to the decision that he has to let it go. But it's one of the most painful things that he could just ever imagine doing to let Toothless go. But he knows what was right. The that Their ability to portray that internal conflict, you know, it was a lot like parenthood. You know, when you're a parent, you're raising up these little versions of you and you're trying to put the best of you in them, simultaneously, you realize that by doing that, one day they're going to leave you and lead their own lives. Um, and that is so far ahead in the future, you don't really grasp that that moment is going to come until it's there. And while my kids are very young, you know, my they're both in school. And so, you have to learn to let go a little bit at a time. And, you know, he goes through the exact same thing, except, you know, on a more permanent basis. So I just thought that was a beautiful way to illustrate that story, that story of loving something and letting it go, even after you've poured so much of yourself into it, because it being able to go out, survive, thrive and create more life and live beautifully, the only way that that thing can do that is without you. And I thought that was great. Mm. Yeah. I mean, and just like to go a little bit off of that too, Devin, I, I just, I, I love that they made the, one of the protagonists hiccup, just this really vulnerable sort of character, you know, because that's, I think we need to see heroes in a sense that are like that, you know, um, because he's, 
I mean, he he's grown so much through the films and he's come into his own and he's realized, like, I have to step up in certain things. But also just being like, can I do any of this if I don't have my dragon? You know, like, is that what makes me special? And just to come into his own and be able to to figure out who he is apart from him and Toothless. You know, it's like that relationship of, you know, am I am I too dependent and too reliant on this? And is this the thing that I think makes me um, who I am? And just to come on the other side of that, you know, and to just, yeah, to come into his own on his own and realize like, yeah, this sucks. And I want you as a part of my life forever. And will always be this way. Um, kind of just like relationships in general, you know, and to just be able to, like you said, I mean, it's just this beautiful thing of, of realizing, you know, this is what's going to be best if, if I let you go and you let me go. So yeah, I think it was really beautiful. Yeah. And it was such a mature message, just that message about mm. one of the most important things about loving someone is knowing when you got to let them go. And that was just one of the great lines in the film when he was thinking about some of his father's memories that he had bestowed upon him. And yeah, and I think that a lot of people can relate to that, especially if you have that friend or that buddy or like a mentor, somebody who you've grown up with and meant so much to you. And sometimes there is a tendency to be dependent on that to be dependent on each other and to sort of your life is kind of defined by your friends, by your people um, that you're around and stuff like that. Sometimes it's by your family, mm -hmm. things like that. But I think that there is something definitely there about being an individual and finding yourself and understanding what truly makes you, you. And that's kind of like, the caveat, I think, sometimes of those of those friendships is sometimes that's what defines you instead of the things that are in your life, the things that you're doing, those things defining you. And I think that, like you said, that was Hiccup's journey. He had to finally arrive to the point to understand that this is not the, this is not you and Toothless anymore. That friendship defined him. A lot of things he was doing was for Toothless. A lot of the things that he would invent were to try to help Toothless be a better dragon. Anytime he would go on an adventure and stuff like that, a lot of his story in this, and you could tell, uh, uh, especially towards the beginning and really, really his journey in this, a lot of it was based on what Toothless was doing, trying to get Toothless hooked up with the Light Fury, worrying about where Toothless was going, trying to get to the hidden world because that's where Toothless lives. And I love that maturity of the story because it seemed like that's where everybody was headed. Everybody was headed sort of where Toothless was headed, right? They were all trying to get to the hidden world. But what winds up happening is that they find a place before that. And it takes time, but Hiccup realizes this is where I belong. This is where we belong. He belongs over there. And he found out that I can't be dependent on him. I can't define my life by him anymore. And 
it's just such a great mature story about that acceptance in a person's life. And I think everybody to an extent has gone through something like that. Yeah, for sure. So I have a theory and I'm trying to verify this right now. But since this movie is about becoming who you are, not relying on a relationship or or a single event to define you, not allowing um not allowing being able to let go of something that you love and move on to something that's better for you, um, even though it's difficult. Is this movie actually a um, reflection of the creator's lives? Because the Dragons franchise has pretty much, I mean, kept DreamWorks afloat for these past nine years. Uh, you know, it's it's made, you know, in in the billions. So are the creators of this mm. saying, you know, this movie franchise is our toothless. Were they speaking to themselves saying, we love mm. this, we've put so much work in this, but it's time for this to end so we can do something better. You know, it's really strange to me. And the reason here's why I say this. It's really strange to me that such a successful franchise ends in three movies because because mm-hmm. they could keep cranking these That's movies true. out without a doubt. Yeah. Bringing about one every four years. They could do that. There's a lot of different types of dragons. There's a lot of places on Earth that they haven't traveled to. There's a wide variety of human beings on there. There's many different stories that can be told from here, but they decide to end it here. And the way they decide to end it is on the note is that you can't let anything define you but you, not even something that's a strength of yours. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Yeah, that's good. I mean, I think I feel like especially with, you know, people who create these these movies and everything. I mean, there's just people who have that creative mind. They just put a lot of themselves into it. And I feel like you can tell with these movies specifically, there's just a lot of hard work put into it. A lot of just, I mean, just the deeper themes that you see throughout it and just the, you know, the actual specialness that you feel between the bonds of uh, Hiccup and Toothless. And, you know, there's just a lot of hard work put into it. And you're right. I mean, over these past, what did you say, nine years, it's been just kind of this, this has been what they've been investing their time in and everything. And I feel like, you know how people say sometimes, you know, your creative outlet is sort of like a therapy for you. So in a way, this could be that for them where they're just like, this is my way of coming to terms with like, you know, this is what it needs to be. And this is where it needs to end. And, you know, and it's always, it's not, it's not, overdoing it, which I think is smart on their part. They're not overdoing it and being like, yeah, we're going to have like 10 sequels because people love these. They're they're being smart about it because I think part of it is the business side of it, of knowing like, okay, well, if we want the story to be as relevant and as important and hit hard at home, like it does right now, we need to end it sooner than <laughs> sooner than later. But also there is that creative outlet, like you were saying, just of, you know, like, don't don't let these these standards and these rules and this like this push of this industry define like, oh, we have to keep cranking out more. We keep have we have to keep doing this and everything. It's like this is the story we wanted to tell. And we told it the way we wanted to tell it. And it was a beautiful outcome. So it could be that it very well could be that, especially because a lot of artists and a lot of filmmakers and creators 
they put a lot of themselves into their work. So I think well, you could Dean, be onto something with that. Oh, well, I was just saying, Dean DeBlas, uh, oh no, I said that wrong. Hold on. Let me look at this again. I want to make sure I'm saying his name right. Sorry. Uh, yeah. DeBlois. I don't know. DeBlois. I don't know. But <laughs> he's been attached. He's been the director. He was co-directing in the first Dragons. And then the, these past two installments, he's been the, the, the sole director. And I just felt, I just kind of, I felt that I could feel that lamentation in this movie. You know, it, it felt like they didn't want it to end, but they knew that was what was best. That's all I want to say. Continue, Justin. But yeah, but just to add on that, you could just imagine that this probably was sad when all of this was said and done. And you know that all these voice actors and all these production artists and people had probably got to know each other. And I'm pretty sure once this movie was complete, and I bet anything that when they saw it, I imagine that that was pretty emotional. I imagine that they all were kind of knew that this needed to end, that it had, that they had gotten it to its most mature point that it could possibly go. And I do feel like that. I do feel like that those feelings emote themselves within this story and within the narrative. And I imagine that it was very heartfelt for some of those voice actors and for some of those people. Though if Sterling were here, he would say a voice actor is not an actor. Sorry, Sterling, I have to hate <laughs> on you for a second. But I'm pretty sure that was very emotional for all of them. I bet that resonated with everyone. Or it sure felt like it, especially at the end, man. Because emotions yeah. were pretty heavy at the end of that. So, yeah, um, sure. was there anything that anybody didn't like about this film? I mean, honestly, it, there's really, there's not much to dislike. I mean, I feel like they keep upping their game with every one of these. I would still say probably, um, I mean, I think I liked this one better than the second one. But the first one, it's just so, the groundwork that they laid in that one was so great. That's probably my favorite of the three. But this one is, it's a real close second. It's really good. Um, I mean... Honestly, yeah, like there's not a lot to dislike. I guess I would say, like, if I'm being picky about it, maybe just a little bit more character development and growth from the side characters. Because, um, I mean, they were very focused on, you know, Toothless and Hiccup, but maybe the side characters having a little bit more of that growth that the two of them saw would maybe be good. But otherwise, I mean, it's just such a great movie. There's not much you can really not like about it, as far, especially as far as the you know, um, animated movies and there's the standard of what you should be doing when you're making them. And um, I mean, I guess like as much as I liked the ending and I, I understand why it was necessary to do it the way they did, you know, obviously in my own heart, I'm like, I wish they could have stayed together forever like they were kind of like Hiccup wanted because I feel like I relate to that. But I mean, it's just they're just such a great duo, but it was just a really beautiful way that they ended it and very necessary. But um, no complaints about it, just more of a preference of like, you know, me being a little kid that wants everything to be happy all the time and nothing to ever change. <laughs> but otherwise, I mean, it's just a phenomenal movie. That's so. the problem with American cinema. Can't handle any complexity. Good guys win, bad guys lose. Everyone lives happily <laughs> right. every year, ever after. And but that's why I appreciate how deep this one got and how it just very was on point with like, well, this is what happens in life. You know, it was really well done. Fucking Chuck Norris. <laughs> What's that? 
But um, but I guess just to I don't know. I don't know if I'm going to play devil's advocate here, but maybe just to point out a nitpick and kind of what I've been reading online and reactions to this and stuff like that, just to kind of entertain what could have been better. And I don't know, you guys could tell me if you agree, but most of the complaints that I've been hearing or more more or less critiques that I've been hearing about this movie is kind of back to Grimmel. Now, we talked about how we understood this character. We understood that he was more of an old school feel. He kind of had that old school feel to him, the evil just to be evil. And like we talked about that, right? Some people are just assholes. But in a day and age where your villains are more sympathetic and a little more complex, was this missing? Was he missing those elements to to make him a little more of a relatable or viable of a character? Because some of the complaints that I have heard is that we had to give so much attention to Toothless and the Light Fury relationship, the relationship with Hiccup and um and Toothless and that dynamic and growing up and stuff like that, which I mean, you had to give attention to that. That's the crux of the film. But kind of to mirror, mirror what Heather was saying, the rest of the cast kind of got shafted in a lot of people's minds because of that development. Like you didn't really have kind of what Heather was saying. A lot of the side characters really didn't get to do much here. There, it what it didn't feel kind of like a village in the way that it felt in the others they sort of were just kind of going along what did uh hiccup what do you want okay we'll go here with you not too much of a disagreement then there was a moment in the film where it seemed like they might be a little mad at him but that situation kind of worked itself out really quickly and a lot and there were some critics that felt like they were pretty much just kind of background in this film didn't really get much to do with them and then for Grimmel, the complaint has been that he was too simplistic. Maybe he did need some more layers. Maybe if he had a motivation that was a little bit stronger for why he killed, he had to kill these Night Furies. Why did he have to do this? Was there something maybe more that they could have given him to make his motivations seem a little bit stronger rather than the glory of the hunt and I just have to kill him? And once I kill him, I have the glory and that's it. Like, what's his end game? What did killing them solve for him? Was there something that it needed to solve for him? So that's kind of been the, I guess, resounding complaint that I've heard about the film. So I just wonder mm-hmm. what you guys' take on that Well, was. I am not going to vicariously post a complaint about this film. I'm going to have a direct complaint about it. So here's the thing about the side characters. I understand what they're saying about them, but let's get one thing straight about the side characters of the How to Train Your Dragon trilogy. All of them are nothing but comic relief. It's not a villain or a primary antagonist. They're all just comic relief. (laughs) Pretty much. Whether it's Gobber or Snotlout or Marge Newt or whatever the fuck their names are, okay? (laughs) They're all just comic (laughs) relief. 
that's it. So in my opinion, this movie wasted a lot of screen time because you had Tough Nut and Rough Nut, who were the funniest aspects of the film, by the by, that you really didn't need any more comic relief for them other than them. And then you had mm-hmm. Snot Lout and this hot for teacher um, want to fuck Hiccup's mom pretty badly. First of all, I know Hiccup's not. I know Hiccup's not like one of those guys, but Hiccup's mom has got it going on. Hiccup's mom. She's all I want, and I've waited for so long. Hiccup's dad, like, just died, like, a few years ago. (laughs) And now this kid who he grew up with is just running around town talking about how he wants to lay the old Viking elk horn on her. And uh, that should have been addressed in some form of fashion other than, oh, he's just talking about how he wants to bone my mom. (laughs) I mean, (laughs) hell no. So anyway, but back to what I'm saying, I actually think these side characters got too much screen time. And I think that I think that if they would have focused a little Mm -hmm. bit more on Grimmel, it would have been great. But I don't want to see some sad sob sob story with Grimmel. I would have liked to see him coming from an affluent family, having everything that he wanted and being bored and then killing his first dragon and the rush he gets from it and the excitement he feels. And his family's like, you know, showing him, you know, they want him to be a ruler or something like that or you know he has a fiefdom or something and he just leaves all that behind to hunt because it gives his life meaning or I would have liked to see some other interactions with Hmm. Stoic and all these other warlords and Vikings and all these other places that they went and all these other adventures that they had you know something Hmm. like that I don't need to see 19 funny characters doing funny shit. And it's funny. <laughs> it's funny. Yeah. It, it was funny. Yeah. But <laughs> I, it was too much comedy. And that's why the movie ends with just what happens to Hiccup and what happens to Toothless. Because r- really, you don't give a fuck what happened to anybody else. Do you really care if fucking Rough Nut got her man or if Encyclopedia Fatty? identified all the dragons and they got married? No. <laughs> Do you care if Snotmout porks Toothless's <laughs> mother? No. Do you care if the gobber, if he gobbed ever again? You don't care. You don't care. And they've been around for three movies. And so, <laughs> you know, True. so if you're sitting up here saying that you thought in this third film, all of a sudden, the secondary characters who who had just been comic relief the entire series were going to somehow get some sort of relevant spotlight. I think that's bullshit. That's a bullshit nitpicky uh, statement to make because they were never at the forefront. There never were beloved characters. It's always been about Hiccup mm-hmm. and Astrid, the villain yeah. of the week, and the people d- re- directly related to Hiccup. They are the most compelling Paling characters, they're the most well-designed characters, they're the most well-developed characters. And it would have been nice to see Grimmel get that same treatment. Yeah. And just about Grimmel, I I really like your story. That might be better than the idea that 
Sterling and I came up with. I kind of like that story, a family of privilege and just out of boredom because that's different. But just to kind of, since Sterling's not here, we miss you, Sterling. <laughs> um, no, we don't. Um, but we, me and him talked about something when we did the, uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I like you like how I just matter of fact at that. But um, me and him did talk about something before we started the uh, fighting with your family podcast. And what do you think of this idea? What if and you can tell maybe it's been done too much before. But what if he was kind of like a reverse hiccup? Like, what if he tried to befriend a night fury before and that relationship didn't quite go as planned like what if he tried to do that or maybe even kind of like an evil peter parker where he let this knife fury go he cared about it maybe he was young they they kind of had a relationship and he lets this knife fury go but maybe that knife fury comes back with the band of dragons and bam Maybe his family, somebody goes, something like that. And it would sort of justify his wanting to kill them all. And maybe that similar to kind of what you were saying a little bit, Devin, he does get revenge. Maybe he does eventually kill that first Night Fury and he's motivated by revenge. He's maybe there's some distinct feature about that Night Fury and that's how he knows it was him. That's how he recognizes him or something like that. He kills him. But after that, that doesn't satiate this want for vengeance. He thought that that would be enough. If I just hunted him, if I just got him back, if I just killed him, I thought that would be enough for me. But it wasn't. And maybe that's how he falls into that boredom. And then afterwards, he just decides, well, if killing that one wasn't good enough, let me just kill them all. And he sort of in his own perverse way says they're all responsible for what happened to my village. They're all responsible for what happened to me. So they all have to perish. So he's kind of like the monster that Hiccup could have become if Toothless just wasn't such a great dragon. Maybe something like that. I don't know. But that was one idea that Sterling and I kind of flirted around with. I could see that, but I think the revenge thing is played out. Uh, you know, it's always like in the whole the whole point yeah. of, you know, how to train your drag is is that these are wholly benevolent creatures. You know what I mean? So I think for that story to work, he would just have to straight up kill that dragon. Instead of it being like and yeah. instead of it being like he mm. befriends it and he's like a reverse hiccup and that the dragon turns on him or something like that. They take the dragon to the little Coliseum or the dome. And instead of sparing him, the pressures of his society drive him to um, kill that dragon anyway, even though he knows that creature is not really a monster. And then out of. OK, e e yeah, that's better because now you don't have to make the dragons yeah. evil. OK, and then yeah. Yeah. out of his guilt mm. and his compulsion yeah. to want to be accepted, he continues to do it and he puts on this facade that he loves to do it, but he does not And he like hates himself deep down. I mm. love it. And it actually plays into the theme a little bit because he's defining himself by the pressures of where he came from, the pressures of his village, the pressures of that, 
he that's how he defined himself and that's the problem he should have that was never who he actually was but that and and he's never dealing with that he's never maturing he is always dependent on that and it, that reputation and all of that that's what that's why him and hiccup clashes because it's not hiccup seeing the monster that he became it's actually him seeing that he could have been a good person that I didn't have to make. He looks at Hiccup and he goes, man, I didn't have to make those decisions. I didn't have to do it the way I did. It. And he could have yeah. a group of people following him around that kind of pressure him on and say, you know, you're the leader. This is what we do. You got to carry the flag. He could have been a lot more gaudy. Like he would have like on his armor pieces of night fury. You know, but they're dead. Ooh, but they're yeah, dead. You yeah. know, so they're, they're dead. And, you know, he could, you know, have a little retractable fist that punches because, you know, he uses the retractable teeth from the Night Fury or something like that. They could have given his design something like that. That would have been a. a yeah. Oh, that would have yeah. been a really cool, just like juxtaposition of those two characters. And yeah. his specific hate for. for Hiccup would be that he made the decision to make peace and go against the grain and he wasn't strong enough and he he hates looking at him. And that's why he hunts him down because yes. he, he just wants to he doesn't oh, want there to be any awesome, any evidence that that's, it was even possible. That's fucking awesome. Yeah. yeah. Now <laughs> Yeah, I hate you because you made the decision yeah. I couldn't make. You made the choice that I couldn't yeah. make. Yeah. I like that. I like now, that. I would accept that, but I also love the pure villain because when it comes right down to it, there are people like that. Not every villain is sympathetic. I can think of a few mm-hmm. <clears throat> kind of running things right now who are just villains for really no reason. Um, so, uh, you know, <laughs> <laughs> and so, and, and they're actually, they're actually, uh, pushed forth to be those villains. And, and I would have loved to see something like that. But dude, I, I don't, I just don't think every villain needs to be, we just need some straight up evil motherfuckers because they're evil. I, I just, I, we just need that. We need to be reminded. Yeah. We need to be, oh, and, yeah. and yes, there's better ways to develop it. And, you know, he could have had more scenes and these, they wasted time on these characters or anything like that. And, and the only reason I went in so hard is because I am a cinema slayer. So I am going to slay even what I like because I love this film. Uh, but <laughs> but yes. um, I don't know, man. You know, part of me understands what they're saying because I was a bit disappointed with Grimmel. But the more I thought about him and his complexities beyond what is written down, sometimes you have to read between the lines. Yeah, yeah. And I will admit, talking about him more with you guys gave me more of an appreciation for him. Because I remember when I spoke to Sterling, we were like, he was probably the weakest aspect of the film. But talking to you guys and hearing that other side, like the old school villain, somebody, that resonated with me. And I think I have gained a new respect, like just in this conversation. So, yeah, I totally get where you're coming from with that. We're going to have to have Cinema Slayers write a script yeah. or something. We have to do it because we have a lot of ideas and we need to we need to see if we can do as good a job as as they do yes. in Hollywood. 
uh, and see where that goes. I think we could do a pretty badass. Uh, I think we could do a pretty badass script and make some pretty great characters, man. I, I really do. Yes. Um, but, um, you know, does anybody else have anything on the negative spectrum? Okay. Nope. That's nope. it for me. Uh, that's it. Yeah. All right. So, cool. you know, guys, it comes to the part of the show where we have to give our ratings. Um, so we're going to go with Heather once again. What would you give How to Train Your Dragon, The Hidden World, as its score? Hmm. I'm going to go with, honestly, I'm going to give it about 90 hidden worlds out of 100. I give it a 90%. It's a great, great movie. Like, it is, it, it's just, it comes full circle. Like you were saying, that really is the best way to describe what this movie is. And the story of sacrifice and the story of, um, self-exploration and self-identification um, of who you are and just the the story of friendship and relationship and the story of growing up and all of it together. It's just so well done, better than a lot of movies that you will see. So, um, and obviously, like we were saying at the beginning, the visuals are spectacular. Um, so I, it's it's really a masterclass on you know, how to do an animated movie that really resonates with people. Um, it really just a movie in general. Like, I don't want to keep qualifying it as just an animated film because it's just a really great film in general. So I give it a 90% and I do recommend it. I definitely recommend it, especially if you are a fan of the original movie or the first two, you definitely want to watch this one. And if you haven't seen them, like I hadn't about a month ago, I would say definitely watch all three of them because you will not be disappointed. And Mr. Justin. All right. How to Train Your Dragon, The Hidden World. Well, first of all, I highly, highly recommend this film. If you're somebody who has seen the first two and you know, you know what you need to do. You know, you need to complete this trilogy. You know, you need to just go ahead before you go watch Captain Marvel or any of that. You just need to go ahead, go visit Toothless and Hiccup and finish the trilogy. And if you haven't seen any of the movies, Please do what Heather did. Go ahead, rent or Redbox, Netflix, Hulu, whatever you have to do. You need to see part one and part two. Do not go in here without seeing those first. That ending will not resonate as much. It won't hit you as much as it needs to. It'll hit you still, but not as much as it needs to if you haven't seen the first two films. So I definitely highly recommend this film. And honestly, I think that this has been, for me, one of the greatest trilogies I think there is. But it's so funny because I mm. feel like it's like the most underrated kind of not it's like mentioned. like a dark horse. Yeah, like not mentioned very often. It's one of the most underappreciated trilogies, but best trilogies I think there is. Like when it comes to animated films and trilogies and stuff like that, I, I, I'm so close to saying this is almost like the Planet of the Apes as far as the new Planet of the Apes trilogy, as far as its consistency, man, like the quality of the films, the how it got better with the character development and the messages. And it culminates in this third one to its most mature most grown up, most visually impressive self. This is like 
when that when that basket when that guy in high school finally grows up and now he's dunking on fools. He's crisscrossing. He's scoring all the points. And now he's lined up for MVP. This is like when you get to see something grow to its to its peak. And this film, I think, definitely represents that. I mean, this it looks fantastic. And it really just matures so well. So all I've got to say is Toy Story 4. I'm looking at you, man. Pixar, you got your work cut out for you this year because I definitely expect to see this again come Oscar time. I'm pretty sure when that lineup of best animated movies comes out, I'm pretty sure this will be there. And Toy Mm -hmm. Story 4, you better knock my socks off because, man, (laughs) you might want to look out because Toothless and Hiccup, they brought it. They brought it. This is the, one of the one of the best uh, movies of this year. It is. I think what it's all and who knows what it'll be when it's all said and done. But right now, I think it's got to be there. It's got to be one of the best so far this year. So I'm going to mirror Heather. Um, it's going to be 91 Light Furies, Breathing Fire, Turning Invisible and shooting off into the blue, clear blue sky out of a hundred. So definitely highly recommend this. This is one of the best movies of the year so far. You got to go see it. Well, this movie right here, like Jason said, is one of the best trilogies I think ever. Um, It is most certainly under the Planet of the Apes trilogy, the new one, but it is still one of the best ever. And if you have seen all of these movies, you need to finish the series. And if you have it, you need to see them. These are some of the best feel good movies that you can watch that you can go away from with just all the feels, all the hope. And it actually makes you believe in good things for humanity um, after watching these films. So I would recommend this movie and this trilogy to anyone. I think that this is something you could should show your children when they get old enough to watch it if you or if you decide to have them. This is one of those trilogies that everybody needs to see. And it has one of the most satisfying conclusions that I have ever seen in cinema ever, period. Whether you're talking about a trilogy or even just a single outing, one of the most satisfying conclusions ever, ever, ever. You can uh, you can put me on record. So I am going to give that this movie 88 dragon scales to complete the armor of the entire trilogy. <laughs> so uh so we got nice. about a couple of minutes. Um does anybody have anything they want to just kind of talk about? Uh anybody anything they're excited for, anything that they're giving a big old thumbs down to? Uh anything that's going on in movies right now that you want to just kind of quick reference. Dang, you put us on the spot with that one. <laughs> I hadn't thought about <laughs> anything to say, but but I just to mirror kind of uh what I said about fighting with my family, that was a really good movie. So just to make an extra recommendation, I do recommend that. And I'm not saying that because I'm a wrestler. It actually is a good, feel-good, kind of sports underdog-ish family film. So I would definitely recommend that, too, if this is the flavor that you're looking for. And the last thing I'll say, you said one of the most satisfying endings, and I'm kind of sad we didn't talk about that more. Because I'm not one to get giddy 
for cute scenes. But when Hiccup's kids were seeing the, the dragons for the first time and that scene where he's like, reach out and touch them. And the the <laughs> sister, her eyes, like as she was moving all around and scared and like, oh my gosh. And they finally uh, touched the dragon. Yeah. That was yeah, an adorable feels. scene, man. Not all, gonna lie. All the feels. That was pretty mm-hmm. damn adorable. Yeah. And Heather, you got yeah, your little like, happily every after so. type of thing out of that. True, true. Yeah, that is true. What about you, Heather? Anything happening in movies that you <laughs> want to talk about right now? You know, honestly, it's I know it's been something that we have brought up in several other uh, recordings we've done, but I am beyond excited for us coming yeah. out, which comes out in a few weeks. And um, it's it's going to be yes. awesome. And I always think it's funny because Jordan Peele, um, you know, when he when he first did get out, like it came out in February and this one's coming out in March. So he does his movies apparently earlier in the year. But I just kind of I'm so excited to see it because I feel like, you know, he's got a really high bar that he set for himself, but also really wanting to see if it's going to be one of those where people are remembering it at Oscar season next year, like they did in, you know, last year's Oscars. So I'm super excited for that. Also, you know, if any of you uh, watch the Oscars, I do want to say that um, Underdog, I'm excited that Olivia Coleman won for Best Actress. I didn't see it coming, yes. but I'm really glad that she did uh, because her performance in The Favorite is the best thing about that movie. And that's yes, coming from someone who's is. like a huge Emma Stone fan. She was great, but Olivia Coleman owned that movie. So, mm-hmm. and I think her I totally speech agree. that she gave and just how humbled and surprised and excited she was, was amazing. So for me, she kind of stole the show um, for it, for wins. So yeah, I just wanted to throw it out there because we didn't really get to talk about the Oscars that much um, after the, you know, reveal of who won everything. So I just wanted to say, I'm really excited that she won that. So. And all I want to say is that Hollywood, you better stop making blue characters. Um, Disney shit the bed with the design of the genie, which Heather and I (laughs) talked about in Trailer Slayers. And then don't forget to go actually listen to our podcast about uh, fighting with the family uh, with Sterling and Jastin. It is a very, very good podcast. Um, It's one that I'm sad that I wasn't a part of, but I'm happy because those guys rocked it. And then also uh, Hollywood is shit the bed with the design of Sonic. Uh, and so maybe we should take it easy on the blue this year, Hollywood. Don't don't reveal any more blue oh characters God. at Sonic all because it is oh uh, it God. is an abomination. It, it is the worst thing Sonic has done since he was macking on that human. Uh, it is the worst. It is the worst thing. Oh man, since the uh, bestiality. So you know, let's uh let's not do any blue stuff in 2019, and we should be okay. Oh God, yeah, most certainly. It is sucking. All right. Well, hey, guys, thank you so much for listening. We got a couple of things that we're going to be doing a little bit different. So make sure that you follow us on our Facebook or our Instagram because we're going to need your feedback for the next couple of podcasts. Also, don't forget to go to cinemaslayers.com and get some of our gear. We got some hoodies on there. We got some bags on there. And we also got some dope shirts. And then also, let us know what you thought about How to Train Your Dragon. We'd love to get some video responses on Facebook. Uh, With that being said, love you guys very much. Thank you for listening. And uh, we'll go ahead and cue that outro music. Mm -hmm.